I can still remember the first day of kindergarten. Can you guys? Did you? It was a long time ago. I can remember it like it was yesterday. I'll tell you why. Because there's a kid in my kindergarten class, Miss Chamberlain's class, this wonderful teacher in this beautiful place in Evanston, Illinois, who completely lost it the first day of kindergarten. I was excited. I had two older sisters that went to school. I couldn't wait to go to school. I had high hopes for going to school. But I realize not everybody had high hopes for going to school because Danny Mozart lost it. My image of the first day of school is Danny Mozart's snotty nose, his tears running down his face, pounding on the door of the classroom for his mother. Mommy! I'm going, wow. I was so excited about kindergarten. I guess Danny didn't get that excitement because he was having some serious separation anxiety. I remember my first day of high school. Oh, man. Junior high, it was a train wreck time in my life. God did an amazing thing in the summer between eighth grade and freshman year, and he recentered my life on him. I actually believed at that point that God wanted me to be a pastor. I'm 13, and I like to want to have nothing to do with middle school, and I'm so excited for high school. I got all these high hopes for high school, first day. I go to this huge high school, Evanston Township High School, the only high school in a city of 80,000, right? So it's a 4,500 high school students, 4,500 students, this huge campus. And I've got like one goal, day one, just get to your classes, find them, and like don't do anything stupid. Like don't (laughs) stick out in any way. Just find your classroom. So, you know, so I'm going to this class. I'm trying to find it. It's in the whole other end of the school. You got five minutes to go like a mile to the next class. And it's they're herding cattle through the halls and through the stairwells. And somebody got a little nervous the first day of school. You know what I'm talking about? And they lost it on the landing. But I didn't know. I mean, how could I know? There were kids everywhere in the stairwell. I couldn't see it until I hit it. And I went like that. And then I stuck out. And I made a fool of myself because there I was. I just fallen in this person's sickness. Like, oh, this is not a good way. All these high hopes for high school. And, and they were dashed, right? And that's a little bit like life. It's a little bit like life. We got high hopes. We got these big dreams for this life that we're living and pursuing, for the relationships that we have or want to have, right? We got high hopes for our careers, whether it's academic right now, going through school, socially, relationships, academically, athletically, musically, the arts, high dreams for our careers, high dreams for our health and our prosperity. We just want to flourish in every area of our life. And then, as John Maxwell says, something happens. The high hopes get followed by downhill habits, and all of a sudden, the high hopes crumble and fade and are gone. Here's what I know at the beginning of a ministry year. Here's what I know at the end of a summer where it's easy to kind of have, have kind of slid and drifted, that, that all of us have high hopes. I don't know if you feel like this is a new part of the year, but I still do. There's just something about the fall. It's like, yeah, it's new, 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 new year. It's new ministry year for us at church. We all have high hopes. I don't doubt that. For anybody living, breathing, listening to me now, you've got high hopes for your life. Here's the other thing I'm sure of, and I'm at the front of the line. We all have downhill habits. The interesting thing is, a lot of us aren't even aware of these downhill habits. 
And these downhill habits are hurting us. At the beginning of this school year, I want to suggest three uphill habits that can fundamentally change your life and take you way beyond your high hopes to God's intentions for you in your life. The, when you hear them, the Bible, prayer, and church. So listening to God's voice, pursuing him in prayer, and belonging to a church, you go, really? Those are the three habits? I was kind of looking for something a little more exciting. Like, I've heard of that before. I know, I know. Some of us are going, oh, I, I haven't, so talk to me. And others of us aren't sure because we're not yet a Christ follower. And so I want you to just listen in and consider these things. You have high hopes. God has higher hopes. Our hopes are always too small when they're not connected to God's. We have downhill habits, and these uphill habits are the best remedy to getting rid of these downhill habits that we may not even know, or we know so well, and we've been trying to stop them because it's ruining our life and the lives of others. So we want to talk about these things. And as we do, I'm just going to tell you right now, is we're going to spend the majority of our time on that first habit of the word, of listening to God's voice, getting into the word so the word gets into us, and that good word continues to shape and change and transform us to be more like God's son, Jesus Christ. So what you notice in the Bible is these three uphill habits were part of the early church in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 242, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's the word. To fellowship, to the breaking of the bread. That's to belonging. And to prayer, to prayer. So grab your Bible, get to the middle of your Bible, the book of Psalms. So middle of your Bible, book of Psalms. There's 150 Psalms. This is the hymn book for the Israelites. These are songs. This is all poetry. We're going to be just imm immersed with all these beautiful figures of speech and, and uh, beautiful metaphors and similes to help us understand in ways that just clear propositional truth doesn't do. And we're going to listen to God's word. And Psalm 1 just really unpacks that first uphill habit. So what I want you to notice is the contrast. Two people described by two different images have two different attitudes towards God. They're heading in two different directions and we get into it, verse one. Blessed is the one, literally the man, who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, that is in the word of God, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Well, let me read that verse again, because this is the high hopes that God has for you. That you'd be like a tree planted by streams of water, yielding fruit in season, leaves that don't wither, prospering in all that you do. Verse four, not so the wicked... They're like the chaff that the wind blows away, that husk of the, of the wheat kernel, right? Blowing in the wind. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches. He protects over the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So here's what I know about habits. Habits start 
with repeated actions. And the reason we take these repeated actions is because we think these thoughts that lead us to these actions and when they're repeated, they become these habits and these habits actually define who you and I are, our character. What we think leads to actions, repeated actions, habits, habits, character. And so this habit that's an uphill habit moving us in the right direction, not the wrong direction, on a collision course with God's goodness and grace is preceded with thoughts, with an attitude. And the attitude is right there in verse two. What is it? You see it? Delight. The attitude is, oh, this is good. God's word is good. So why does he delight? What does he tell us about the the word of God that would set up this attitude that this is a good thing. This is a delightful thing, a beautiful thing. Well, he starts unpacking it, right? And so what does he say? Well, it brings stability, right? I've got roots. I'm a planted tree. I've got a rootedness and stability and, and foundation to my life. I'm not uprooted. I'm not blowing in the wind like the chaff, right? But, but I've got roots, and we long for stability. And, and with that, security. He says, I love that. I delight in God's word because of the, of the rootedness it brings, the foundation it brings to my life. He says, I love the word of God because it's connecting me to the streams of living water. God's word, Moses says, is not an idle word. It's our life. The very first time we read about God's word in Genesis 1 is his word brings everything into existence out of nothing. God's word gives life, spiritual life, sustains our life, physical life, a creation. He says, I love it. I delight in it. Stability gives me life and it makes me fruitful. Something happened this summer where God added something to my kind of focus goal for my life. My goal has, for decades now, been I want to finish well. I want to finish well. The heroes of my life are the godly women and men who have finished well. Eyes on Jesus, the prize, crossing the finish line. And what hit me, what challenged me, was a talk I heard from Pastor T.D. Jakes. And he said, you know what? It's not just about being faithful it's about being fruitful and you know what's so exciting is to to see God growing fruit character and patterns in our life that blesses other people God wants us to be fruitful he's delighting in the word because it's bearing fruit it's changing him his character is growing it's more delightful in God's eyes and it graces other people's lives there's fruitfulness in his life there's nothing decaying the fruit is coming in season the shade benefits people the fruit benefits others and he says I love that about the word of God this word that the writer Paul writes about in 2 Timothy that is God breathed and it's useful for what? For teaching us, for rebuking us, that is, it reminds me that, whoa, Mark, you've gotten totally off the line of God's word and then correcting me back to God's word and training me in a life of living right before God and others. He delights in this word. And we know we delight in the word if we meditate on it. That's where he goes next. People who delight in the word 
think about it all the time. That's meditation. He meditates on the law day and night. Meditation is this idea of muttering. So um, any, any tea drinkers out here today? Come on, hey, be proud. Raise it high, tea drinkers. Listen, it's a coffee drinking world. They don't even know we exist, all right? <laughs> stick together. Meet me out at the tea counter, all right? So when I think of meditation, I, I think of tea and tea seeping. So if you think about meditation, um, what we're doing is the tea bag. Oh, for coffee drink. Yeah, this is a tea bag, all right? It's got tea leaves in it. It's really healthy for you. All right, the tea bag is the word of God, right? And the, the water here, this nice hot water, this is my life. And if you didn't know this, it's, just, it's not instant like you do with the cup. This takes time. It's like, you know, something really special and good. Anyway, so you let it seep. The, the word of God, this tea, seeping. And, and because it's living and active, it gets into every nook and cranny. We may want to push it away. We may want to say, I don't want that word. Because we, God gives, we're not robots. But it has the potential even to get to our very heart. What does it say? Living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, dividing even our hearts and our conscience, our minds and our thinking and our affections, gets to the, every nook and cranny. And so as this tea, so as like coffee drinkers, you usually do this like for three to five minutes, okay? And then if you've been to England, they'll teach you a little cream and sugar never hurts a good cup of tea. But you just let, you let it in there. And so meditation isn't reading, it's slowing down and it's going deep. So if you're in the New Testament reading program with us through Rooted, right? We're in Hebrews right now, around chapter eight. We're reading through chapter eight and we go, oh, I really like that verse and I just wanna think about it. it th this idea is of muttering. Think about a, a, of a cow chewing his cud and all the other things cow. I don't wanna go there. It's a little early in the morning to go there. But just kept bringing it up again, right? Just over and over again. It's like this tea just seeping in and it changes us. The word changes because it's not another book. This is God's word that is the very word that brought this world into existence and holds it all together, sustains it right now. And so we know that we delight if we're thinking of it all the time. And the goal of meditation is not empty your mind. That's Eastern philosophy. That's Eastern religion. And it's so much in vogue in our day. You just need to kind of get to that empty space to just relax. Now, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, fill your mind with God's truth and let that truth transform every part of your life, okay? And the goal is not that we're just filled with God's thoughts. So important. But that's not the end game. The end game is that we would do God's word, that we'd be in God's word, go deep into God's word, so God's word would go deep into me. How I think, what I want, what I dream for, how I respond to people, what's hard, what's good, all of life, it's all about obedience. So we read this in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This man who was fearful, so God keeps saying, be strong and courageous. He's saying that all the time to Joshua because he's shaking his boots. He's going to lead God's people into the promised land facing enemies and big cities and he's taking over for Mo. 
for Moses, right? He's freaking out. And God says this, keep this book of the law always on your lips. In other words, you're a leader. Make sure your words are full of God's word. Meditate on it day and night so that, why meditate? So that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Because James reminds us, don't be just a hearer of the the word of God. It doesn't do us any good for you to hear this message and me to speak this message if we go, great, all right, let's go watch the Packers or the Bears. Right? To hear it, we're to be doers of the word of God. The intent of reading and of being in is that we would actually take God at his word and believe what it says and go where it tells us to go. As we say, centering our lives on God's truth. So what does that look like? What does this uphill habit look like day to day? And I would suggest this ought to be a daily thing for us to grow in grace and more in Christ-likeness. Well, we start with prayer. Lord, you know it's so easy for me to distract. Do you know that even a pastor can read a chapter of the Bible and have no clue what I just read? It is amazing how I can be doing one thing and my mind is in a completely different place. I'm sure it's never happened to you. So we pray, God, I'm meeting with you in your word. I want to listen to your voice. So keep the distractions out. Holy Spirit, one of your roles has helped me understand it. So Holy Spirit, help me to understand your word that I might do your word. And then I get a piece of paper because I know this always happens. Like I'm reading, I'm praying, and all of a sudden, God reminds me of something. I go, ooh, thank you, Lord, because I totally forgot about that. And so if I don't write it down, I'm gonna have to try and remember it through this time of reading and prayer. So when I write it down, I'm gonna forget it because it's on the piece of paper. It's good. All right, I pray, I get my piece of paper, and then I read God's word. There's three questions. Man, there's a lot of different ways we can go about it. But let me give you like three basic questions as you're reading the word this week. I wanna say, what, is this bio, what does this passage teach me about God? Who is this God? And, and, and how is it pointing to Jesus, who's the perfect revelation of Christ? And by the way, Jesus said, all of scripture is about me. So what is it teaching me about God and about how is it connected to Christ? Second question. This is the person one. Um, what is it teaching me about me, about humanity, about us? What's it teaching? And how does it connect to God's son and his work on the cross, to the cross? Third question. So how do I apply this teaching to my life? So like in, in Psalm 1, what could we say? Well, as we're, what does it teach me? That my happiness, that's the word blessed, my happiness is found in being connected to this God who is delightful. His words are delight. He's a beautiful God. What what do I know about this God? That he's the one who plants me. He's the one who waters me. He's the one who can make me prosperous and flourish in all areas of life. He's the one who protects me. What do I learn about myself? Oh, verse one. Oh, it's really easy for me to listen to other voices. And to be tempted to follow other people who are moving away from God. What, what does it teach me? Oh, that my stability's in Him, that my joy's in Him. What does it teach me? That my life pursued without God is aimless, it's rootless. I'm just a piece of dust. Remember that song, that lyric? Blowing in the wind, just chaff blowing in the wind. 
So how do I apply this? Well, it would be different for all of us. Some of us would read verse 1 and go, ooh, I am living verse 1. I'm walking in the counsel of the wicked. I'm standing in the way of sinners. And I am in the company of people who mock God. What am I doing? God, forgive me. Rescue me. Help me get centered to a group of friends who love you and help me move towards you. I'm reading it. And I'm going, what, is it? what does it say? How does it apply to my life? Oh, maybe I go, oh, there's stuff that is decaying. There isn't fruit in my life. Like, there is no fruit in my life. There's, there's no grace in my life, and I'm withering. What, what is it revealing to me? God, I don't love your word. I don't delight in it. I find this boring. Forgive me. Give me a hunger for your word. Help me to see the beauty of you in your word. Give me that delight. Give me roots, because I'm blowing in the wind. Give me hope through this one, your son, who is the man of Psalm 1. So we're reading the word. So the word would come in us and change us as we do life. And then as we read through it, so we read through the psalm, then we go, okay, I'm gonna meditate. So we just, we just stop and we just meditate on verse three and the beautiful image because it's poetry of verse three and we repeat it over and over again. And what happens is you meditate it, all of a sudden you start, you start memorizing it. And here's what I found is, if I can focus in on one verse a week, meditation is way more helpful. I would say this year where I've just committed to, and I haven't done it every week, almost every week since February, because it's been part of my personal growth plan. Meditate on a verse. I write it out on a card. There's something about writing it for me that helps me remember it. And I have that little card or I have it on my phone and it's in front of me on my notes and I just, I have it out. So I'm going over it, I'm going over it. That's transformative. One verse, one scripture, or scriptures that I'm thinking over. Maybe it's this week, maybe it's this month. It's going deep, and it's going deep in me. And so what's going on here is, it's like what you're doing right now. And if you weren't doing it right now, it'd be really bad, because you wouldn't be alive. What am I talking about? Breathing. Taking in God's word, we inhale. Exhale is just, it's prayer. It's responding back to God. Hey, if we're not breathing, we're not alive. This is true in our spiritual life. This is what gives us life, God's word, connecting to God in prayer. And so meditation builds this bridge from God's word to prayer, all right? So let's do the second uphill habit, talking to God. So if you have a relationship and you are no longer talking to that person, we know that something bad has happened. There's been a fracture. There's been a dissolvement of that relationship, right? So when we're in relationship with people, we talk. If we're in relationship with God, then we communicate to God, and that's what prayer is. Some of us are new to the faith. We've never prayed. We're a little freaked out. We've been around some people, and like they start talking like I've never heard people talk, and they got this language and this, and it's like, what? I, I can't do that. Look, you don't have to do that. There's, nothing, there's no code language. It's just honestly bearing your heart to God. The scripture says he already knows everything about us. He knows what we're going to say before a word is on our mouth. And so we're just talking to God. We're communing with him like we would with our best friend. So when it comes to prayer, the word is the 
easy way to set up prayer. I mean, all of life sets up prayer. So like you're driving in today and you saw the beauty of a fall day. You're going, wow, thank you, Lord, for the beauty of fall. You, you were coming in and um, maybe this sometimes happens to pastors in their families. And, and you get like a big, bru- you actually got into a fight on the way to church. Are you kidding me? And you're going, yeah, and it's happened before. And we go, God, why does it happen we're trying to move towards you and then just the enemy's in the mix and the next thing we're at each other's throats. What's going on here? God, help us. All of life, the highs, the lows, the challenges and everything in between sets up prayer so that we can pray without ceasing about whatever it is tomorrow morning at school, at work, in the neighborhood, in the apartment floor, on the dorm floor, right? All of life sets up prayer. But the word in a great way sets up prayer. And so here's what I encourage you to do is bring the word into your prayer life. So if you're married, bring it into your marriage. You've got a good friend. You've got, you've got a small group, a life group. Bring the word into your prayer. Pray back God's word. So for example, if we were just, you know, here, here's some, a way you could do it. We would... Um, we just read a verse and somebody in the group or your husband, your wife, your best friend, whatever, would, would read a verse. Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. And someone would pray in response to God's word. And it's not like there's like only one prayer, but it could be something like, Lord, just show us if we're in step with people that are leading us in the wrong direction. Lord, if there's anything in me that is mocking you and how I live my life before other people, forgive me and show that. I don't want to have that be a part of my life. Next person goes, verse two, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Lord, I thank you that your word is delightful. And Lord, you know that I don't always find my delight in in you and in your word. Forgive me for that. Grow my desire for your word. Help me to, to mine your word and all the riches of it by just slowing down and may the word just be more centered on my thoughts, in my heart, and in my life. Next person grabs verse three. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Lord, thank you for bringing me stability and and help me to have my roots go into you and find security in you. Lord, I want to be fruitful. And thank you that I can be in you. And you know there's stuff that's dead in my life. And so, Lord, prune that out, as painful as it would be, because I want to prosper in all of my life. So the word sets up our prayer life. Now, there's nothing wrong with a prayer list. That's like a really helpful thing. There's nothing wrong with grabbing an acrostic like acts, adoration, praising God for who he is, confession, acknowledging what God already knows you know, how I'm not honoring him in life, my sin. Thanksgiving for, for what God has done and the word we never use anymore, supplication. It's just asking him for the things in our heart, the needs that we have, the request. Nothing wrong with the list. Nothing wrong with an acrostic, but let's recover the word of God and connecting it to our prayer life. It will really uh, bring life and creativity and newness and freshness and power because what we're doing then at that point is what Ephesians calls us to. Pray in the Spirit. Ephesians 6.18. What does that mean? Ah, 6.17. 
talks about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So if we're praying in the Spirit, that is, the Spirit is empowering us, giving us faith to believe. Uh, when, when our prayers are Spirit-filled prayers, it's because they're connected to the Word of the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, okay? So that's gonna be huge as we grow in this value we call persistent prayer, devoting ourselves to pray continually in all of life. So what does it look like? All right, Jesus says, first thing, find a closet, create a closet. You don't have to build anything. You don't need two by fours. You need a place where you're not distracted because when Jesus says find a closet, it's in, the, it's in the context of religious people using prayer as a show to show how really, really, really religious and pious and holy they are because they just go on and on and on with these high fluent prayers. He says it's not about a show. It's about a relationship. It's not about religiosity. It's not about religion. It's about walking with me. Find that closet. That closet could be a couch down in the, in the basement. It, it, could be, um, it could be wherever you're not gonna be distracted from turning it into a show or from the other cares in your life. Find the closet, grab the word, use the word, and meditation to fuel your prayers. For some of us, it'd be helpful to write our prayers, journal. And for others of us, the best way we can focus is by walking and talking. Here's what I said last service. Lori and I celebrate, this is awesome, 35 years, September 26th. Are you kidding me? 35 years, is that awesome? Here's our best, yeah, you should clap. 35 years. So I say this all the time, the best marriage tip we have, practical uphill habit is take a walk regularly together. Walking has been the best thing for our marriage. And one of the things we often do on our walks is we'll say, hey, as we're going out, like we have this bridge run. We love the bridge runs. So out a mile, back a mile, through the cornfields, beautiful. Hey, on our way to the bridge, let's just pray. Let's just pray. We just bounce back and forth, just praying. So for some of us, walking actually could be that place. And part of prayer is actually just listening. Man, we're so busy. We are missing out so much that God wants to say to us as we're in his word and we quiet ourselves. You're not going to hear it. It's not going to be some plane that whips out this new sentence for you and God's new will, but you're going to know in your spirit, God whispering something like, hey, I got you. I know you're afraid. Don't be afraid. Trust me. I, I, I love you. I know you're struggling right now. I care for you. I'm praying for you. So listen as we pray. These are huge uphill habits that transform us. There's a third one. And man, we just spent a whole message on it two weeks ago, so I'm just gonna touch on it briefly. And it's this uphill habit of the church belonging to Christ's body, which seems so optional in our day. It's just like, well, if I get to it, that's cool. Now, let me just say what belonging is not. It's not that you're a formal member of Door Creek Church. We, we love the members of our church. But being a member doesn't mean you necessarily belong in the ways that God wants us to. You could be an attender. You could have been here most of the, the weekends of this year. But it's more than attending. It's more than being a member. It's being deeply connected to others, committed to the whole, connected to a part 
doing life together around Christ and his word, that we'd grow to be more like Christ and move his mission forward in this world. So here's what I know. When God created the first human being, Adam, he needed Eve. We were created for relationship. He placed Adam and Eve in a family. God was their father, right? They're in that perfect place, the garden. The new creation through Christ, where we are adopted by God, we're adopted into his family so that he's our father, Christ is our brother, and we are sisters and brothers together, right? He places us in a family. That family is also described with the metaphor of the body. Christ is the head of the body, and we are individually members of the body. We're not, we're not like, he's the head, and we're all different bodies. No, one body, a lot of different parts. And so you're an ankle, you're an elbow, your ears, your eyes, you're a nose. All, you know, just go through the body. And none of us have all the parts. And so we can't act independent from each other. We need each other. And if we cut ourselves off from the body, only bad things happen. So none of us, and this is kind of a gross illustration, so now that I got your attention, sorry. But if we lost our finger today, right? And I mean, we're howling, but the reality is we're howling and going, this is unbelievable, my finger's on the floor right there. That saw, cut it right off, right? Whatever, I know, sorry. But <laughs> here's where I'm going. None of us would go, hey, you know what? That thing has been fine all of my life. It's gonna be good. It, I'm just gonna, it's, it's gonna be fine. One day it might even work its way back to my hand. <laughs> we, we know, like, if that thing doesn't get sewn back on, if it even can be, if it doesn't get sewn back onto my hand, that thing, that finger, that appendage is gone. It's dead. We're, we're a body. Now, there are going to be situations where we cannot be connected. There are people in places in this world who are cut off. Even for the sake of Christ, they're in prison. But I'll tell you, those people are as much as they can be, they're connecting through their prayers and they're trying to find other prisoners maybe who are Christians. But normally in life, we have the opportunity to be connected. And this is a great grace. And, and it's, there's nothing wrong with listening to a speaker this week on the radio or downloading a podcast. Nothing wrong with that. But don't think it's the same thing as belonging to a church. Don't be confused. Do not be confused. And so there's something unique that's happening right now. Not all of us necessarily, but most of us came here going, you know what, I need to connect with God because I've been out and it's been tough and I lose my way, I lose perspective and I need to recenter my life on a good God who is on the throne, who loves me, who is for me. I need that. And I need to be with other people who love God and want to follow God. I need to be with other people who say, come on, Teach me God's word because I want to do it. I don't want to just know it. I want to live it out. I need to be with other people because it's easy to just let the week or the summer, and we haven't been here for a while, and we just run dry. And I, I need to be encouraged. And that's what happens as we gather around Christ in the word, as we sing it, as we hear it and sit under it. The truth crowds out the lies that trip us up. The truth teaches us, gives us wisdom for all that's complicated. 
It calls out my need for a course correction. We regain an eternal perspective in the midst of a fallen world. It rekindles my heart. My, one of the biggest battles, one of the things I pray for is that when we're around God's word, as I'm teaching God's word, that it gets your heart, that it changes our heart. And, and, and we have an opportunity to do that in a unique way that'll never happen in front of a screen. And it won't happen by just being out in creation with God. And it's just me. Well, God didn't just design it for you and me. It's you and me with God together. And, I, and my heart's warmed as a team has me worshiping. As I catch a friend who's going through a really hard thing and they're praising, I catch up with Lynn and Jared's story just in their 20s, dealing with breast cancer, the fear of death, working through the bitterness of losing. And it, it's, it's important so, so important. So that's why we're plugging groups. That's why we're going to keep plugging groups, getting you connected, because that's a huge place for you to receive God's best. So what do these three habits have in common? It's quite simply this, Jesus. The Word is all about Christ. That's what Jesus says in Luke 24. It's all about me. The Old Testament pointing forward, the New Testament revealing him, and the letters looking back to his work on the cross and his death and resurrection for us. Prayer, Jesus gives us access. Jesus is the one who's been speaking to him, and we are praying to the Father in Jesus' name, and it's Jesus who allows us to connect and call the Father, Father, right? And it's his church, his body. And so here's what I know, is if you have downhill habits, it's like what happens to me when I'm doing battle with dandelions. Now, I really love my kids because they're starting to say, Dad, there's another way. Like, you don't have to get all hyped up about dandelions. They're beautiful. God has dandelions grow, and they look like flowers in most places, except why not in your yard? So th that's been helpful, but it's not overcome me from, I've got a fetish about, I, you know, I want a lawn without weeds, and by the way, I live next to some people who have those same ideals, so there's a lot of pressure. <laughs> so what I do is I get weed-focused. I mean, I'm spraying those suckers. I'm digging them out. And when my chemicals don't work, I pay way too much money for somebody to come. I know, it makes me scream too. And <laughs> way too much money to get them to kill my weeds. And so I'm like, weeds, weeds, weeds. And here's the deal. See, I know. Here's the deal. Bad habits can give, take an inordinate focus on our lives. We know they're bad. They're actually ruining relationships. It's serious. And we go, I got to get rid of it. I got to stop it. I got to stop it. I got to stop it. And here's the beauty of the lawn metaphor. There's another way to deal with weeds that is completely different. It is not weed-focused. It's seed-focused. You overseed, you overseed, you overseed. You throw more good seed on the lawn so there's less place for the bad stuff to grow. That's the uphill habits. That's the profound impact of these things. They look so simple, but they are profound. When you sow the seed of being in the Word regularly, 
talking to God, giving him your day, always turning, always depending upon him in prayer, connected to the church. And hey, the church is messy. There's all kinds of reasons why we go, I want to do that. It's just like, well, wait a minute. Our, our, our bodies are messy. Our bodies are breaking down. But we're glad that our body is connected even though it's broken. And so these are graces. This is the good seed that we're sowing that takes these uphill habits out of our life and has us reaching way further than our highest, highest hopes to that person who's like a tree planted by streams of water yielding fruit in season whose leaves don't wither and whatever they do, God blesses them and they prosper. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take an hour a week. That's right. I am asking you to cancel that DVR show, your favorite, postpone it, get rid of it. Take an hour. Now, you can do this or you're not. You don't do this. It's because like, come on, this is like good for you. Take an hour to pull this out just so, so I know you know what I'm talking about and just quiet yourself and you ask God these first two questions and you just listen. Lord, where is it in my life that you want me to grow to be more like Jesus, your son? And don't, you're not gonna hear the voice, you're not gonna see it, but you are gonna know God is gonna honor your prayer. Where is it you want me to be more like Jesus? You write those down. What are three areas? where I need to grow to be more like Jesus, that God is revealing to you at this time, the fall of 2016, not what he revealed to you last year or next year, right now. Second question, who have you placed in my life, Lord, that you want me to pray for, to serve, and love on? Who are these people? Write those three names down. Then you turn to the back and you go, okay, what steps could I help, could I take? Because here's the deal. We are committing to take ownership this isn't anybody else's job. Your growth is your job. Unless you're a kid here, mom and dad have a huge responsibility. But, but if you're middle school and up, fourth and fifth graders, you can start owning your own spiritual growth. So here's some suggestions. You probably should check that first box in light of what we just talked about today. And then you just see two or three goals. And then the action steps. What are we going to do about it? Man, I hope it's a great year for you. I want you so much to grow and be on a collision course with God's goodness. And may he help us develop these uphill habits that bless us and those he's called us to serve. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We acknowledge it is our life and yet we don't act like that. And so we ask for your mercy and grace and forgiveness. Lord, you have pursued us, and so we know the author. And may that continue to increase our hunger to get to know you through your word and to have your word get into us and continue to change how we think and act and live. Lord, what a wild thought that the creator of the universe wants to spend time with us and forgive us for just being negligent. Forgive us for thinking we don't need you or that we don't want to bother you. And Lord, we would move to you with deep intimacy and grow in that. And thank you for your church. Thank you for this church, for Door Creek, and for the gift that it is in our lives. May it be more beautiful in your eyes and more helpful for us. And may we be better positioned as your body 
to be your hands and feet in this world you've called us to love and serve. Until you come or call us home, we pray these things. And God's people said, amen.